Welcome to the Self-Storage Playbook Podcast. In this show, we're going to take you behind the scenes with fellow self-storage investors from around the country and look inside their operations to talk about their victories, lessons learned, and the current strategies they're using in today's market to dominate this fast-growing field. I'm your host, Terry Royce. Let's go. In this episode, I catch up with Ian Horowitz to break down takeaways from a recent mastermind he and I attended, as well as trends we're seeing in the market and self-storage industry as a whole. Ian has been on the show before and is currently in the middle of closing a 250,000 square foot portfolio after already amassing 150,000 square feet of storage in just his first 18 months in the business. Let's sit down with Ian and dive in. Hey everyone, keep in mind, if you have a storage deal that doesn't fit your buy criteria or you need help with a storage deal that's come across your path, I'm always happy to take a look as we are actively looking to buy more storage properties around the U.S. Shoot me an email at selfstorageplaybook at gmail.com to connect. And don't forget to connect with our Facebook group and help continue the conversation at www.selfstorageplaybook.com. Thanks, guys. All right. I'm here with Ian Horowitz, freshly <laughs> retired. Look at him. Look yeah, at him. Beautiful beard. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I love it. No, nah, man, you said you're, uh, you're kind of living that retired life now. You said you're out, you're, you're kind of traveling around with the family for Halloween. Yeah, I'm uh, up at the in-laws. You know, that retired life has allowed me to be a little more transient than I'm used to. So that's, that's been fun, to say the least. So Nice, man. Well, uh, just to kind of, for those people that don't know, I'm Ian, was, you were a firefighter for 13 years? Um, yeah, I got hired in 08, 13, 14 years. Yep. Sure. Sure was Baltimore city. Um, you ever watched the wire? That's where I worked right up in the guts. If you remember where the riots happened, that's really, really where I worked, uh, for the majority of my time. Um, and it, uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least. Yeah, man. Well, I know that you've came to a couple of masterminds that I've done and I've been with you at some other events and we have harassed you, um, to say the least, about leaving um, your fire department, which I know is a big part of your identity. But uh, I think I think it's going to be good for you long term, man. You sh- you've been freshly retired for just under, what, three weeks? Uh, let's see. Well, actually, it's just about four weeks now. So I'm still taking it all in, still playing grind mode you know, instantly put it down the day I retired. You don't realize what you carry with you now that it's, now that it's down, uh, get through this large closing, uh, refinance mess that I got on my hands. And once that's done, I think I'll enjoy retired life and and put a lot of things down and and take a deep breath for a second. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we always sort of harass you about retiring, but you never retire. It's just more of a, a switch. And I think you kind of immersing yourself into, you got the big commercial project you're doing in uh, Baltimore. And um, for those that aren't familiar, why don't you, uh, you're about, what do you guys have about 150,000 square feet of storage right now? Yeah. So um, currently uh, I'm involved in a portfolio in Little Rock. That's about 150,000 square feet. Uh, plus have some stuff down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, by the end of this week, that'll be right around 300,000 square feet uh, that we'll be adding to the portfolio. I uh, got my start in single-family real estate um, in Baltimore uh, out of necessity You know, from being a fireman. We grew that portfolio to about uh, a little over 225 residential units between single-family and, and multifamily. Uh, like most people, well, at least during our come up, uh, you know, 2018, 19 prices started to get way out of control for us, you know, so we found some multifamily properties, uh, stumbled on storage, done some other unique commercial projects. We're currently redeveloping an 80,000 square foot commercial site, along with all the other storage stuff that we got going on. So we're always growing, always looking for the, you know, best asset class to invest at, at the time that's available to us. Um, and right now, storage has a nice runway for us uh, for the foreseeable future to continue to grow um, our portfolio. Yeah, so I guess the real question is, when are you going to start doing more deals? Uh, <laughs> the, que- the real question is, is when am I going to take a deep breath and enjoy 
my newfound free time. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's real estate, you know, and I, I think once we get talking into the topic that we wanted to talk about, um, is that like, I don't know, man, like when you, when you really find something you love to do, it's not work, right? Like you guys used to always give me crap, always give me crap about leaving the fire department, but I enjoyed it for such a long period of time that, you know, it was hard to leave, even though we all know that my time best spent was probably inside of real estate and not at the fire department, even though I loved what I did. Right. But you know, for me, real estate somewhere, I don't know where it comes from, you know, not college educated, none of that good stuff, but deep down inside, it just naturally comes through. It's an easy, understandable business. And, you know, when you find something you love to do, is it really work? No. Like, I think everybody has this notion, oh, Ian's going to retire and he's going to go live on a beach and, you know, kick his feet up and, you know, put a thumb in places they don't belong. But it's actually the complete opposite, right? Like, it was like, oh, shit, I retired. Now, like, let's double down and, you know, make sure we create the wealth and the cash flow that we need to continue to grow. Um, So, that's been fun, you know, and uh, when something's fun to you, you know, you should respect it for what it is, but you should also abuse it for what it is, I guess, is how I see it. So, yeah, and I think that's an uh, interesting point. Um, and I kind of, I, I don't know if you remember, but the uh, book I gave you at the event, we're going to kind of recap here. I put a note in there that, you know, this, this, a lot of people from the outside in look at it as like hustle and grind, but it's like, there's this like thirst to succeed that most people can't understand. Um, and yeah, a, lot of people, a lot of people along the way, I'm sure you've experienced, will try to squash that. Like, oh, well, that's too crazy. That's a lot of work, whatever it might be. But they just don't understand. Like, this is like an internal need. And you might be able to elaborate on it better than I am. But that's why I kind of, that's why I got that book for you. Because I, I don't know if you've started reading it or listened to the audio book, but it's like Tim Grover's new book winning. I don't know if anybody listening is listening to it. We'll drop a link in the show notes, but the audio book is really good. He just goes into like these high level athletes and how like it, like most people don't have that. And we all yeah. have it in a different area of our life, but it, it it's just when you have it, like mediocrity isn't, <laughs> can't exist. Yeah. So I was talking to this guy, the other day um, out of California talking about investing in our new deal down in Baton Rouge. And we were going back and forth and great. You know, the guy goes, Hey man, you know, I really like you guys because you're not white collar, right? Like you're not, you're not, you don't have enough money just to, you got a problem. You just buy your way out of it. Right. He's like, you guys are grinders. And it's, it's a hard thing to explain because I keep, t- I told him straight up, I said, I think the reason we're successful is because we're dumb enough to keep going back to the well over and over and over again. Right. You know, and a lot of people, I remember Terry, like when you were, you know, your whole uh, wholesaling, everyone's like, oh, I'll just do it. Like Terry, I'll just go down to the courthouse steps and also I'll wholesale a house. I'll, I'll get deals just like Terry. No, dude, Terry like looked at the thousands of deals. I, I watched him. We'd be on his boat and he'd be like, all right, pull over. I got to do an auction real quick. And then we could be back underway to get to the bar. That's when Terry was fun and used to drink. But um, I'm proud of you where you came from too, man. Uh, But either way, no, it's like, I I don't think people realize it's, you know, everyone thinks it's like this easy, oh, I'm just going to invest in real estate. It's passive. It's just going to magically happen. No, dude, it's dirty work, man. Like there's a lot of work behind it. And like I said, if you're dumb enough to keep going back to the well over and over and over again, eventually you'll become very successful. And I can see most people have picked up my mantra of, LFG, but yeah, that's what you got to do, man. You got to get up and you got to go at it every day over and over and over again until you come up with a system and get it right. Yeah, man. And it's kind of interesting. I, what you bought uh, what, a little over probably what, two years ago, two and a half years ago, you bought your first storage deal down in uh, Arkansas, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. And that's the thing. It, it, once you figure something out and having passed, past experience allows you to grow tenfold quicker um and in the same way it's like you know let's say let's say you're a doctor and you want to start investing in real estate like your your predominant skill might not be the day-to-day operations but your predominant skill might be the ability to have money to endure a lot of pain and if you know you can throw money at that situation to get you out of it eventually you'll figure out how not to throw money at the same deal whereas for me and dan it's like our candid ability, you know, our ability is to go out and find deals 
uh, and operate them. And eventually you figure out what works for operations and what doesn't so we can continue to streamline and or build processes to put people in place uh, to continue to grow that as well, you know. And I think that's an interesting a point to segue into kind of the recap here is you, you're talking about basically just constantly improving, you know, I think we all we're kind of joking for those that don't know in the chat where everybody's chiming in LFG and people kind of ride you about like moving at 100 miles an hour, right? But yeah, to, that, to that to that point, you also are a big operations guy and you it drives you nuts when you're moving that fast and then you look back, you do like to improve the operations and you understand the importance of how that, how important that is in not only the real estate business, but especially self-storage because it's not just real estate. It is a business. And I think that was kind of the big, one of the big takeaways that I have on my notes here and we can kind of dive into that, but just no, seeing the, the kind of, you know, Ken Holmes was the, I guess, tip knock. Um, what do I want to say here? took us off the first day and kind of went into the evolution of how we kind of all get into self-storage from these. We kind of are a notch better than the mom and pops, but then we start to transition and build those systems. And what, what have you kind of done and seen over the last two years as far as what has worked for you, what hasn't worked and kind of where you're going now? Yeah. So um, I guess the first things first is, you know, you need to be, the whole LFG thing comes it comes from somewhere else, uh, but it's grown into real estate and it's grown into, you know, you need to take action, right? Like a lot of people, I mean, Terry, how many meetings do we go to where we would watch the same person come over and over and over again and keep saying, well, I'm going to do it. 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 And then they just never did it. <clears throat> then COVID hits and then they're out. Like they're just not never doing real estate because now they're scared. You know, at a certain point you have to take, you have to take action. I was talking to a lady yesterday <clears throat> she's like, yeah, I wish, I wish I did it. And now I'm 55. And she goes, well, now I don't want to do it. I said, but now's the time to do it. Just do it. Right. Like, um, <clears throat> and that's where the whole, you know, LFG thing comes from. It's just motivating other people to take, <clears throat> excuse me, to take action. Um, and you were saying, okay, so, so going into that taking action, right. You know, the, the first, the first thing for me is just go do it. I'll figure it out. Um, I'm not much as an operations guy as people think I am. I, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy trying to understand the mechanics of it. But luckily, my business partner and our project manager, Ryan, you know, Dan and Ryan, they are very, very good at taking whatever BS I come up with, uh, chewing it up and coming up with a system that works, right? And inside of self-storage, you know, that's one of the unique things about this business is that you're underwriting the underlying asset of real estate, which we all understand, the finance, the structure, the physical assets that are there on that piece of land, we all get that, right? But that's not really the business of self-storage. The business of self-storage is a forward-facing business similar to a hotel or an airline. You have a customer service-based business that you're trying to drive top-line revenue that ultimately spits out net profits to you at the bottom. And that's one of the most important things that you can do inside of self-storage. Um, what I found out from operating the day-to-day -day operations is that it really exposed how much we prefer to do the CapEx, finding the deals and structuring out the deal with finance and our uh, equity investors is what we really enjoy. And you know what I, my thesis, especially coming up on this new large 250,000 square foot deal is, my thesis is, that there's really badass property managers out there for really inexpensive money that could replace our day-to-day -day operations, allow us to take advantage of the extreme opportunity inside of self-storage right now and continue to grow. And it wound up being a common theme at the mastermind event that we were at is that, look, we all want to make this thing harder than it needs to be, but it's not. And in the same sense is you do need a great day-to-day -day manager that understands customer service that has additional tools available to you to make their customer experience, um, you know, more pleasant to them. Uh, and not only that, but, you know, someone that's going to be able to respond super quick. So uh, moving forward, you know, we're taking the day-to-day -day operations off of our side of things and moving them to a property manager. And we're going to continue to concentrate on the CapEx 
streamlining our side of the operation and finding more deals, um, which works for us. Yeah, and on that point, um, you're talking about bringing in really top-notch property managers, or maybe even somewhere in between. You know, we we look at the public storages and the Cube Smarts that just have these like refined, efficient systems. And I think a lot. I think kind of one of the things that just kind of occurred to me, listening to you talk, is that a lot of us have come from the single-family real estate, where we're always trying to get it done the cheapest way possible, which we all know inherently isn't the best way possible which becomes our Achilles. So I think a lot of people try to do it themselves. They try to bootstrap it. But now there's you, me, a lot of us are looking at, hey, let's bring in, even though it's more money, maybe it'll improve our operations and actually improve the revenue. Maybe it actually makes us more money. What have you, what's been your kind of evolution over the last two years? You know, this was a big topic at the mastermind was third-party management, efficiency and management. What was the kind of your aha moment where because you, you have a on the ground lady in Arkansas who is, for all things all things considered, is very good, but there's still weak points in your operation, right? And there's still inefficiencies. What what kind of crossed you over ooh, the the Epiphany Bridge, right? What brought you yeah. over? <laughs> a little Russell Brunson footnote. What brought you over that man? Like because that's a, I think that's a big thing. You start looking at the numbers, and you've got what a thousand units. And you start running yeah. the numbers, you're like, man, this is going to be forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars a year. In let's, we all look at it as an expense, but really, it's an investment in our business. So, right. what, well, and then one of the things you got to look at is to say, is okay, well, if I'm going to spend this money, am I going to bring someone in the front door, put them in the office with me to continue to help us case manage this on a day to day basis, and I have to oversee another person, or take that same money, invest. Inve- investing basically in technology, right? Investing in a service that's going to take some of this weight off of my shoulders um, and allow someone else to do it, right? And when I start looking at that, I'm going, okay, well, I can sit here and try to build this whole thing out. Do I really want to have a full blown property management company? No, we already have that in Baltimore. You know, we deal with our tenants on a day to day basis. Yes, sir, it's single family. And multifamily, um, it's a little bit different. However, I don't want another thing on my plate. I want to continue to exploit what we're good at. And exploiting what we're good at is finding deals, putting the capex into them, and finding the money. That's what in deal structure, that's what we're good at. I don't want to sit here and waste time and waste the next two years building out a management company. If anything, I'd rather get to a critical mass and then go back to our property manager and say, Hey, property manager, I'm at a critical mass. I'm at a, at a point where I want to debate. Do I want to go on my own or do you guys make it so easy that I don't even need to consider this and I'm fine with that line item expense? Or you go back to the first point is, hey, I want to pay you to teach me everything that you're doing so I can recreate this system with critical mass. Um, and that's something that you need to debate. So for us, while we're continuing to scale inside of this asset class and you know, we do have some footprint i mean after this week coming up you know we'll have about three thousand units between the two different portfolios you know we could have the critical mass that we need but then again i don't want to hit the pause button right now while the opportunity is immediately available in front of us i mean we did the same thing in the single family world we just hit the ground running we didn't even think about it you know were things right were we doing stuff right i don't know but we just hit the ground running i mean i built christ i built Terry's beach house four times over. Um, but either way, you know, like we hit the ground running and yeah, we got a lot of good deals out of that. There was probably a good period of time that we weren't efficiently operating. And when deals started to go away, that's when me and Dan took a deep breath and said, okay, let's see. And I didn't like doing it cause I'm not very good at that stuff, but you know, we took a deep breath. We, we, we shored up our lease. We got better property management software. We did all those types of things. So to me, while there's opportunity available, we would like to grow the portfolio uh, and have somebody side by side, you know, a strategic partner to handle that side of the business while we continue to grow and find the opportunities. Yeah. And I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You were, you're talking about, you want to focus on deal structure, financing, and I don't know if it's human nature or what, but I feel like we, we try to get good at, at all of it rather than focusing on what our highest and best use is and where we bring the most value in the business. And 
I see it. I mean, I do it all the time. I'm not saying I'm immune to it. Um, well, that was what was big. I was going to say, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to drop a point here is that you would you just say you said that we all try to figure out how to do it. And I was talking to one of our partners that we have a property with in Baton Rouge. And I said, Steve, I said, you know, this is my thesis. This is what I believe in. I think this is the right thing to do. And he goes, well, then why are you trying to understand all the ins and outs of the business if you're just going to hand it off to a third property manager? And I said, third party property manager. I said, oh, no, 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 no. We need to understand everything day to day. You need to cut your teeth. You need to get your, excuse my French, you need to get your dick kicked first to understand what your property manager is going to alleviate for you. So then you can hold your property manager accountable in the same situation. So it's not, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. And you're like, okay, well, he did it. And you don't know exactly what the hell they were supposed to do, right? So there is, you need to take the time to understand the ins and outs of the business and uh, understand what a call center should do, understand the best way to find tenants, understand what marketing should be done, understand what the day-to-day operation looks like. So this way you can hold whoever you put in place accountable, whether it's third party or your own boots on the ground or any there combination of. No, I think that's a great point. And back when I was doing rehabs and stuff, I ha- I hated the construction aspect, but I always wanted to understand it. So when the tile guys weren't putting the tile in right, I could say, hey, like what's going on? This is supposed to be done this way. I can't lay the tile. You don't want me to do it. Your lines are going to be effed up. But understanding the process, I think, is a big a big part of the whole thing, right? If they're putting in the framing wrong, even though I'm not a carpenter, I understand the process and what it is and can identify it. And I think that's an excellent point for a lot of people to understand is not just to want to hand it off and make it simple, but to have a fundamental understanding of it. And that is a uh, a great point. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's like, you know, understanding how to ride a, ride a four-wheeler in the desert. I mean, you know, you don't always know how you have to do it, but you should have a good understanding of what you should ride over and not hit, right? Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I, I, uh, and I put my trust in the operator, which was our guide. and and the You should have known we were screwed when we were at 200,000 square feet or 200,000 uh, feet above sea level that we were screwed, buddy. Yeah, Ian's making a little joke here. At the Mastermind, I had a, uh incident on ATV that uh, won't go too far in depth on, but it was pretty serious. Um, I launched off of an ATV and uh, broke my collarbone. It was uh, I had to get surgery last week, so it has been a, a traumatic event. Ian almost had to unretire and come back on the medic team. So. I uh, I had P- I almost wound up in the hospital with you. I almost had PTSD staring at that medic unit. But um, glad you're all right. Uh, but seriously, it, it is just like hiring a property manager, right? Like you entrusted the guy to keep us safe to you know take us through this thing, and we should have known that there was an issue. And the guy said, "Well, they usually keep me in the back as a mechanic, but there's so many people here today, they had me taking you out, right?" Like so. Uh, we probably should have known, you know, and that's the same thing when you're vetting anything that you're doing in life, whether it's your own real estate um, portfolio, something, somebody you're investing with, uh, or just going out on a four-wheel ride. You know, I, I think there was a, a underlying lesson inside of that. Hey, listeners, whether you're looking to get on the fast track to buying your first self-storage facility, expanding your storage empire, or connecting with top-level storage investors and operators, then join me and loads of other self-storage investors on a monthly interactive training by visiting www.storagerebeltrial.com. Here, you'll find an interactive group that hosts live monthly trainings in addition to an active daily forum that connects storage investors from around the globe and is hosted by our good friends of the Storage Rebellion. Mike Wagner and his team have generously offered our listeners a risk-free one-month trial, and you can check it out by visiting storagerebeltrial.com. Here, you'll have access to all the previous recordings and forums to check out all the solid content that has already been discussed, well as the new content coming up. I'm on these calls every month, and there are lots of other new and experienced storage investors as well. So come join us risk-free at storagerebeltrial.com. See you there. Yeah, it was a lot. And it's been uh, just to kind of tie that off with a bow. It's given me a uh, appreciation for a lot of things the last few weeks, being able to have full mobility. And, and I just want to publicly thank you, Ian, for uh, being there, man, sticking at the hospital through all that. That was a, uh, I know that was a long 
afternoon for everyone, but I appreciate you. Hey, we got to, uh, I know we're going off topic here, but we got to take Mike Casey to his first uh, In-N-Out Burger. Um, So that was fun. And we got to wait for you. We got to see some cool stuff going in and out of the emergency room. And, uh, you know, I got the bump elbows, uh, you know, reminded me what it was like to be a newly retired fireman. But um, so get us back on topic, Terry. Hey, it's all good. This is open forum, free flowing, baby. You never want to stay on topic. I know that. Um, but no, I think that the management thing is really just like, you know, that was kind of in my notes here to kind of go at the end, but I think it's just such a big thing and we, and I, and we're just seeing it more and more as we all grow, right? You've gone from a hundred to 150,000 square feet. Now we're about to jump close to 300, you know, by the end of the year, I'm going to be close to a hundred thousand square feet and just have it, you know, going from one property to three, four, five, six, and being able to scale, I think is you know, and everybody's got different goals for their business, but I think all of us, like we were talking about earlier with Tim Grover's book, Winning, like even though we don't need necessarily need to grind all the time, we don't need to just do it and work a hundred hours a week. There's this internal drive in front of inside of us to grow, and if we don't do it properly, it's just going to be like fraught with frustration and pain, right? So if we can do it the right way, then it's in alignment with. I don't know, throw out these four letter words, but our vision with what how we want to live, right? And right. I, I'm excited about it, man. We, uh, Kristen, um, uh, you know, my, for those of you who don't know her, my wife, she was actually in touch with a uh, third party manager this morning for a pro- uh, 25,000 square foot property. We're closing in Alabama sometime this month. And we're just like excited. Like we feel this weight off our chest. Um, you know, and nothing's permanent, right? With a lot of these guys, it's all month to month. There might be a little bit of an upfront, but I think a lot of us look at it. It's okay. If we do this, we're signing up for a marriage. When really we're just signing up for a date, right? We can try it out. We can see what works. But I think also going to people, and that's the one big thing about this event um, that we were all at in Phoenix, the one Mike Wagner hosted, is you know the connections. We had uh, Bill Copper spoke there. He's a big third-party manager that's kind of been growing his business. I talked with another uh, member of the event, and he gave me some references for a guy who is one of the ones that we're trying out. and. It's just these connections, you know, it's a lot of the, you get a lot of value out of the presentations and the, what do you want to call them? The activities, quote unquote, besides ATVing. When yeah, you break no, um, Bill, Bill definitely, you know, he dropped bombs during his presentation. He definitely made connections with some of the members out there. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he brought a ton of value to everybody. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was really good, but you know, uh, you know my wife, you know, dude, Terry, you know, my wife gives me crap. Your wife probably gave you crap. We used to go to all the real estate meetings. We used to, you know, go to all these different events. You're a part of a lot more masterminds than I am. Dan gives me shit all the time. But you know what? When I look at it, the amount of money that, like, we raised, number one, out of that group, you know, helping other people invest their money is awesome. Number two, just the friendships and the connections picking up the phone and calling people and you know i can call nick i see he commented on here pick up the phone call nick in new mexico and say hey what are you seeing out on the west coast right versus calling you know uh stratton up in in california or then going all the way back out to new Am- new hampshire and calling chris like dude there's people all across the country hey what are you guys seeing especially when something's happening with the same service provider that we're all using and just you know knowing that other people you know, like uh, I talked to John Farling a lot, you know, just the connection that we made from the first event is that it's like, you know, we're, we're all struggling with similar types of things and we all resonate, right? Like we all got similar age kids, me and John golf, similar size portfolios, uh, you know, just BSing with him and talking about, you know, same thing, winning, killing, um, you know, where we're going, where we're growing, you know, what are you doing? And it's just good to hear that same operators have similar problems that you do because it is a lonely entrepreneurship is lonely as much as it is a super tight knit group. It is very lonely out there um, when you're trying to work on stuff on your own, you know? Yeah, it is lonely. And, but again, that is the value in, you know, doing these groups. We got, I know we all have a lot of uh, connections offline. You and John, you were talking about golfing. Um, it's pretty neat, man. You know, we, a lot of guys want to talk about 
sports. I know you're a big sports guy. I'm not, but like business is the sport. So having those connections for me is pretty critical um, and being in those right circles. Another thing that I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say plus on top of that, like, and I don't know where you're going to take us, but like inside the mastermind group, it's just like diverse backgrounds. Like everyone thinks I'm this crazy, hard nosed, one sided type of guy. But in the end, like I give, I give Ken Holmes a ton of crap, right. About not taking debt. But then it's like, I see his vision. He sees my vision. And then I'm like, okay, well I can utilize Ken's scenario in this situation for myself. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of cool little things that you get from other people and the way they consume the material that you present and how they spit it back to you. You can say, Oh, well that makes sense. Or this doesn't make sense. And just seeing how people process different information is also fun for me too. Yeah. You were talking about being a hard nosed guy and people not knowing what's underneath. And I just want to, where is it? The uh, crystals you sent me, the selenite, the, the biggest hippie firefighter. I know ex firefighter. So Hold on, I don't know. Ian just stepped away for those who are listening to this afterwards. I don't know what he's about to get, but uh, if you're not watching the video, you can. There you go. There's a big piece of selenite right there, buddy. Send you some healing powers, you know, but that's the thing, man. There's all kinds of different backgrounds out there. One time I was at this event, we were talking about some weird stuff. Actually, there's a shooting star going across the sky. My buddy Brent, um, you know, I like the universe. He likes God. And we had a great discussion about it. So. Well, I appreciate the uh, healing crystals you sent me. I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to do with them yet, but well, you see how it's shaped, buddy. That's uh, this is a family show. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But what I was about to say before we got <laughs> uh, go off on a crystal tangent is um, I have some notes here. John, uh, well, Brendan had an interesting presentation, right? He was talking about just the importance of just you know we all know it, right? The online presence. It's not like this big aha but just i think the the thing i noted was the consistency and i go in big waves with this in soliciting reviews and things like that how if you're not getting like you know that we all know the algorithms whether it's facebook's google we don't know how they work but just when you're consistent with it that ranking how high it is and the other thing that i before we uh, hopped on this call here that i i noted down but i kind of forgot it's used talking about syncing with Bing. You know, we all know Google and we kind of laugh about Bing, like who the hell is that? But I did a, a search before the, uh, we hopped on the call today and Bing is responsible for um, 7% of all searches. So that's nothing, right? But if you could increase your revenue by 7% across the board or your move-ins or whatever it might be, that's a big number. 100%. Um, yeah, and I, I think Brendan really hit home. You know, Brendan's a professional marketer. Uh, that's what he does for a living um, for a very large company. Um, but you know what? You know what I took away from it is you know forget the consistency and look. These are all things that we know we're supposed to do anyway, right? And this is where we get sucked up in the minutia of the day to day operations. But you know what Brendan hammered home for me, um, for me personally anyway, is that we are a forward facing business, right? Like when you have a single family rental. Go throw it on Craigslist, call the tenant placement guy, boom, it's done. It's filled, right? Like it's not even it's not even a question. But now we're out here fighting for market share. Like he really hammered home the fact that we're a forward-facing retail business with underlying real estate. That's how that's what I took away from there. Um, you know, the Google My Business soliciting reviews. Um being active, being consistent. Those are all important things that, you know, when you're looking at storage, you need to consider. It's not just as easy as, oh, I got a 10 by 10 at $50. The lady doesn't know what she's doing. I'm just going to bump them to 80 and it's over and done with. No, there, there, there's a whole process to this. So what, I mean, what, is, what would you say were your big takeaways on that with just like, you know, you, we, you, we know, all know the things we need to do for marketing, but like you're saying, it's a forward-facing business. We need to be customer-centric. So what what are the things that you're taking away and looking to implement over the next three to six months to kind of make you stand out in this market? Uh, from a marketing standpoint? Or Any from standpoint. Yeah, I would say um, really refining the day-to-day operations is the number one thing that I believe everybody can do. 
Uh, me personally, my takeaway of, you know, granted my property manager just happened to be speaking there, which was kind of awesome. Uh, but he really helped me solidify my thesis on uh, the belief that they will do a better day-to-day operation on the management side of things and that I'll be comfortable with it, number one. And speaking with other people throughout the storage community, I'm really excited for it. Uh, number two is that, you know, as much as we're always growing at a really fast pace, sometimes it's okay to take a deep breath and have a gut check. Um, you know, there were some people gut checking me there, which is always good and humbling in some ways. And, and number three is that, you know, we are doing the right thing. A lot of people were intrigued in what we were doing, intrigued in the deal structures that we've set up, intrigued in how we're financing deals. Um, so that tells me that we're operating in our own little bubble, which is good. That means not a lot of people are rinsing and repeating, uh, that we can continue to grow, that we'll have runway until people have figured out everything that I'm doing um and crowd the market uh so that just all those things made me are things that i'm taking away and or made me feel good that we're on we're on the right path and and you kind of hammered home on the again the, the uh, outside management piece do you have any kind of pro former projection or maybe it's just you know maybe it's just more of gut and seeing the data but of what you think these some of these managers can how much percentage wise they can optimize your revenue um i don't have anything like concrete per se i've run scenarios through my head and when i look at the revenue management on the day-to-day consistency of auctions my thesis was that if the average manager charges anywhere from five to six percent plus or minus if they could increase the revenue by every 10,000 only cost you $500. And if you're leaving, you know, because your rev management's not great um, or, uh, you know, your auctions aren't consistent and in, in turning people over on a very consistent basis, that that $500, that their fee should offset themselves in a very quick period of time. So in 90 days or less, there should be no change to the amount of income that we're taking home. Uh, and if anything, the revenue should be going up. And for every dollar that every dollar that they go up, it only costs you five cents. And that's what really hit it home when I said, "Okay, well, if I go up by ten thousand dollars in rent, like as this thing continues to grow, what does that look like?" Well, shit, that only cost me five hundred dollars. Where else can you invest five hundred dollars to get back ninety five hundred? Like, uh, if you could find that for me, I'll go invest in it today. But I think that's pretty clear cut, you know. Yeah, no, like I said, I, we're really excited to kind of start venturing down that path. I don't know where we'll end up with it. I don't think we're going to backtrack, but um, it was a discussion that Kristen and I had. It was like, hey, this is the route we need to go just based off of conversations with you at the event, offline, smoking cigars, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I think that's the way. And I, I'm surprised we're not, maybe it's out, maybe there's more discussions about it and I'm not seeing it or just not honing in on it but i feel like it's kind of being it's either new or being swept under the rug what's um, that just the the idea of smaller investors with smaller portfolios either you know let's just say one to eight properties or whatever it might be utilizing outside management or well okay sorry i don't mean to cut you off again you were worried that i wasn't going to talk this whole this whole time so never worried about that baby (laughs) um you know one of the things you got to remember is you know god love his soul and you know very grateful for the man teaching us but the man that taught us went with a unintended um management model that he self-managed right and two things have happened one we've all started to explore this business further past the person that we've learned from which we're all grateful for and number two, with the advance of COVID, you know, COVID has advanced the marketplace in general to go to a more unattended model. I believe that in the long term, as the REITs continue to chew up everything out there, that at some point they're going to come into markets like ours and they're going to try to tear us up and they're going to need to find a way to run an unattended model and get away from the very traditional model of having somebody there. Well, some of these smaller managers have been able to adopt these policies because they were operating on their own storage facilities. 
Uh, and during COVID, they said, oh, my God, look at all this money we're saving all of our customers. That's more money to our bottom line. It's more money to their bottom line. Well, then let's go with the unintended model um, and go from there. So I think is the unintended model of managing stores becomes more popular. Um, I believe third-party management for our size facilities, our size operations, uh, newbie investors is going to continue to grow. And as this asset class becomes more popular, more management companies with this model are going to continue to pop up. Um, you know, storage, uh, talking to my insurance agent out at ISS, he's like, dude, he's like, I used to come to these things. There wasn't a soul here. It was Billy Bob from middle of nowhere with overalls and a cowboy hat on, uh, chewing on a piece of straw and me. And he's like, dude, now it's like, dude, there's so many people here. I don't even know who they are. And he's been in this business for 20 years. Um, and he's seen it grow really a lot over the past five years, um, if not the past two. Um, so I think as this business continues to grow, there's going to be more options for all of us involved. Yeah, well, I think you're seeing it. And for those uh, not on the East Coast, they might not be familiar. But I mean, 10, 10 Federal to me is one of the more regional players that have implemented that um, manless model the best. I mean, I've been in one of their properties. They've got iPads so they can Zoom with the customer if they need to. And I think I... I heard him on another interview or something that they're they're at point six employees per facility, at least of when I heard them tell that stat. Yeah. And they have been implement you know, they own at least as far as I know, they own DaVinci Locks. They're just like coming up with a lot of proprietary stuff. And for a player like that who I don't want they're not small, they're big compared to us, but compared to public storage and extra space, they're small. But when that model starts to to aggregate up into the bigger players, I think you're, we're going to see some interesting changes um, in the market. I don't know if you've ever shopped one of their stores, but they have a really fascinating model. They've got a roll door with the <clears throat> like laid out in their office, at least at the one I was yeah. in, and it's just fascinating. Yeah, they. Uh, I walked in on at ESS and the the presentation that he was leading with a few other guys that were all going towards an unintended model. You know, in Ten Federal, I think it's. Uh, Brad was his name. Brad Minsley thinks the the head guy there. Anyway, he was discussing. You know, they're talking about utilizing drones um, for lock checks and all kinds of crazy technology. That you know, as you continue to streamline this business, you know, as as you start compressing uh, expenses further and further, you know, the bottom line revenue gets better and better and better. But as that happens, you're going to start attracting some heavy, heavy hitters that are going to be chasing returns here in the marketplace, which is already happening. Uh, but with that, right, like, let's say, let's say that guy was like, Hey man, I got this badass portfolio. I'm going to sell you all my, all my properties. And then they go, okay, Brad, that's great. But I need somebody to manage it the same way you would manage it. Now you're in the business of property management. Um, he's got to take that on. And then he's going to say, well, okay, well I could do this for other customers. Right. So there's going to be, like I said, as this as this industry continues to get more, as this asset class gets more light shed on it, there's going to be more service providers out of there, whether it's out of need, out of forced hand or whatever it may be. Um, this business is going to continue to grow uh, for the foreseeable future. If I, if I was to go back to Vegas and place a bet, I would probably bet that there's going to be continued compression in the marketplace, driving values, um, and that there's going to be a ton of opportunity for us here in the in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I'm sure we'd have to twist your arm to get you to Vegas to place that bet, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we Wait, can do. we need to go now? <laughs> you want now? to catch a flight this afternoon? Now? <laughs> okay, let's go. Now? Um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely, uh, I think for everybody that's in, interested or is involved in storage, Forget all the drinking, gambling, and every other bad thing that's out in Vegas. You should definitely go to ISS. It was a very eye-opening experience for me this past spring or summer, and I will be there in April of this year coming up. Um, happy to catch up well before then, but um, I will definitely 100% be there, and I think everyone should mark that on their calendar if you're in this business or want to be in this business because there's just a lot of good elbows to bump with uh and plus terry doesn't drink anymore so i need somebody to hang out with 
I mean, I'll come. I'll drive you around, buddy. I know you will. So we can go four wheeling in the desert. Um, you got little John Farling popping in here. I, I got another note here from the event, which was actually from your presentation, which it, it's kind of a simple thing, I think, but it's also something that I think <coughs> we all forget. You were, um, I couldn't take notes because my collarbone was broken, but I took a lot of pictures. And <coughs> you wrote um, decision tree of how you guys kind of look at your deals and analyze for financing and for taking it down. And I see in a lot of the Facebook groups and a lot of the forums, these investors with, is this a de- they're asking, is this a deal for me? But they're not having more of like an internal filter of like, really, I feel like there's a lot, basically what I'm trying to say is I feel like there's a lot of time, especially newer guys spend on ruling deals in and out that there's so much bandwidth that goes to that than just saying, hey, this isn't in a market, this is the wrong size, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear you elaborate on that a little more because I feel like for the, especially the newer guys, there's just so much time that's wasted on that. Yeah. Yeah. So my presentation consisted of a slide that basically was like similar to what I dealt with in the fire department of, uh, you know, like a trauma decision tree, right? Like it was real simple. If this, then that, right. And if not this, then do this. Um, So basically for us, when we're looking at a deal, I have a real quick back of the napkin setting to me. Number one, is it within two hours of a major metropolitan airport? If I can't get there by a direct flight from, I live between Philadelphia and Baltimore. If I can't get there on a direct flight between the two, most likely I'm not going to invest there. If I can get a direct flight, it needs to be within a two hour drive of that direct flight. Uh, Granted, don't let COVID be the decision of where you invest right now because all the flights are still screwed up and a lot of the uh, flight plans that are normally out there aren't available anymore. You used to be able to get direct flights to and from New Orleans super easy uh, or Memphis, and then you could just drive to where you need to go. So that's number one. After I've done that, I do real quick back of the napkin numbers. Like if a broker sent me, so this 250,000 square foot portfolio that we look, uh, that we're buying on Friday um, three property portfolio in Baton Rouge was real easy. Okay. Number one, we operate there. Number two, the broker said, yo, you got 24 hours to figure this out. I was like, okay, yes, I, I took the long route, but I took the two second route to decide if I wanted to do this. What's a 10 by 10 rent for what's a 10 by 15 or 10 by 20 rent for figured out those numbers and did real, real rudimentary numbers on the back of a napkin to say, this is what I believe I can get price per square foot. This is how many square feet are there. 85% 85% occupancy, 35% expenses, plus or minus. This is what I think it's worth long-term. Holy crap, that looks like a deal. Um, so for me, from there, I would say, okay, call broker back. You know, if it's, is it a deal? Can I get to it? Yes. Is it a deal for me? Seems like it. Number three for me then would be to call the broker, have a quick discussion, and then continue on. Now, if at any point during this, I said no for any which reason, I would go to the other side and say, okay, it's not a deal for me because it's in, I don't know, uh, middle of nowhere, Missouri, and I can't get a flight there and it's a six hour drive. Who do I know that lives or operates in Missouri? Is there somebody in this mastermind group that I can work with or in real estate in general that I know with past practice to do that deal? If yes, then go back to what I was going to do anyway. If no, okay, can't do that. All right, well, it still seems like a deal. Can I wholesale this deal? Is this market? Is this deal going to be marketed? Uh, what's going on with this deal? Is there a number that this deal works at for me? And work all the way through to ultimately kill the deal. I think what you're asking is more of, you know, you got new investors that get stumbled up. Like there's this guy that just hit me on on the network that's saying, dude, he's sending me GRM numbers, occupancy numbers, price per square. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like this seems like Spanish to me. Real quick, down and dirty. Does it seem like a deal? Yes or no? And that's what you got to figure out. And taking the time, I told everybody inside of um, uh, Wagner's group when I did a presentation on it is Go and look at my deal and break it down and see how you arrived to the same number as me, different than me, um, or better than me, right? And that's what I do. I still do it today. There's a few heavy hitters out there that uh, run other groups inside the storage business. Or if anybody, like especially my close friends, say, hey, can you look at my deal? 
I take the time to look at it and say, okay, well, how are you arriving to these numbers? Because it keeps you sharp. The more deals that you underwrite, the more likely you are to take action when you see it's something that actually looks like a deal. Yeah, I think, um, and it's interesting because there was another guy in the group who um, you and I know, I won't mention his name, but he was buying a he was supposed to be buying a deal with another member and his goal in the short term is to leave his job. Right. He's like, dude, this deal has a million and a half worth of equity. He's like, but it's negatively cash flowing." And I told him this to his, his face. So I don't think it's um, bad for me to share. I was like, dude, why are you buying this deal? You're ne- sure. The million and a half is great, but that's two, three years away. And your goal in the next year is to leave your job. You need cash flow now. Right. And I think that's important for setting it up because then you kind of, chase everything and i'm not again i'm not immune to this um i'm trying to refine it every day chasing deal not chasing deals that don't fit because if i'm chasing this one over here what am i missing on the right and that's why i've been real intentional over the last two years about what if i'm doing x what am i missing on the opposite side what is the cost yeah and we um <clears throat> you know for us it's cash flow first the equity is potential it, maybe it's available i don't know it, it's not a real thing it's not tangible what is tangible is the cash flow that we can provide to our investors and the cash flow that we can provide to ourselves through real cash flow not through fees and junk and everything else and that's that's what we look for we look for good cash flowing assets that have good bones that have good long term qualities to them that will allow us to continue to grow. Um, without that cash flow, nothing else matters, right? Like, yes, you could buy a facility that's in a negative cash flow position. And yes, storage has 30 day leases, and you can turn this thing around almost, you know, literally overnight, more or less. However, it is a big risk. Um, so when we look at deals, we always look at deals that service our preferred return for our investors and service the debt. We always underwrite the deal first without debt, without investors to make sure it's a good deal with good bones. After that, then we can start laying in all of our other crap that should A, make the deal better for the deal structure and B, make the deal even juicier for everybody involved when we do get to some sort of capital event, um, which is I think a lot of people lose sight of. They try to make deals work with debt and they're not an inherently good deal, right? Like that same person was saying, hey man, well, the bank already gave us money on it. There's gotta be something good here. Dude, banks take risks too. They're not perfect, you know? They might say, okay, well, hey man, you you have a lot of past experience. You'll figure this out. We're happy to get, you got a great underlying W2 job. We're happy to give you the money and let's go, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's. I think um, that's just. A, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm here. I was just gonna say. I think that's just a really like. It's so basic. Like having your your deal avatar and your what you're looking at it through. And like you said, if it doesn't fit, okay. Well, maybe we t- don't rule it out completely. Take another step or two and see. Can we partner with somebody? It's interesting. Uh, John Farling has been commenting in the chat here, and he hit me up yesterday. He's like, "Hey, what?" are you going to sell any of the deals you have under contract? I'm like, no, but I do have these other two deals that are kind of closer to your market that I've been, that are, I think are good deals, but I've kind of are lukewarm on me. Let me just send them over to you. And it's like, I didn't put the bandwidth into them, but Hey, here, let's, let's see if we can make something of these together. Maybe there's something, maybe they're nothing. But I think if I would have focused on those deals when they came across my plate a month ago, I wouldn't be doing the three that I have under contract now that I think are great deals that fit my, that are in the uh, geographic area I want to buy in, et cetera. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of guys in the group and storage is very easy to end up nationwide all over the place, but you got to remember just like any other portfolio out there, you're going to have efficiencies by operating in the same marketplace, you know, um, uh, Baton Rouge, was I in love with it? No, we only had two small facilities there. And it's not because I didn't like Baton Rouge. It's because I was having trouble finding other quality deals. And then when this one popped up, I was like, okay, yeah, we have legit legs in Baton Rouge now. Let's continue to grow that. We got legit legs in Little Rock. Okay, well, Little Rock and Baton Rouge are only six hours from each other. How do I connect those two dots? Baton Rouge back to Maryland's 14 hours. So I got a lot of I got a lot of work to do to grow that portfolio across that whatever the flight path is on 
on a plane or the drive path between the two. But now I have a nice triangle, a nice runway that I can deal with from Maryland to Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, um, whatever other states are in between there, Kentucky, Alabama, Louisiana. You know, like it starts to open up what you have because now I've built a triangle across the country. Um, and, and, you know, I was literally just talking to someone the other day and I said, hey, man, I know you got a large lead list, work leads. Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas. I am your number one buyer. Go out and find deals. You know what I like to buy. Just hit hit it and go and call me. The end. So, what yeah, are we man, waiting for, John? I think he's waiting for me to send him the leads, but uh, here he is. He's watching, listening to us. So, and I, as we kind of start to wrap up here, man, I just want to, is there anything else like you'd like to elaborate on either from the event or kind of a takeaway in the last few months that you think would be kind of important to hit home or just maybe something that we haven't touched on that you think would be, it's just kind of been a big aha for you maybe. Uh, let's see a big aha for me. Um, Besides retirement. No, you know, a lot of people look at me and they're like, Oh, I need to, I need to grow. I need to grow. I need to grow. And that's not always the right answer. Yes. We're taking opportunity. Yes. We're taking massive action. We also have the wherewithal to take the massive action. And we also have the wherewithal to take down the very, very large deals. But that doesn't mean bigger is always better. You know, you're competing with more sophisticated buyers as you go up the food chain. Um, you're dealing with uh, some other limiting factors out there in the marketplace. You know, so just because the deal is bigger doesn't mean it's better. Yes, there's more room for me to potentially screw up. However, there's also a lot more room for me to go down twice as hard, right? We're on the hook for $8 million uh, first position. We're on the hook for $4.5 million of investor capital. Um, but with that being said, my number one takeaway is do the best deal that's available to you. Don't get into a dick measuring competition. It doesn't need to be the largest deal out there. It doesn't need to be, I know it's a family show, Terry. Um, but it doesn't need to be the largest deal out there. You need to do the right deal that is cut out for you. Um, and I think that's very important in this market right now that is crazy. You know, oh, just because it works for Ian doesn't mean it works for you. And just because it works for Terry doesn't mean it works for me. Um, you need to make sure the deal works for you. And I'd say that's probably my number one takeaway over the past six months, let alone my past few years of real estate experience in general. That's awesome, man. And uh, just something I'd, I want to ask, uh, kind of ask a lot of people that have been on the, the show, what, what's one thing I have it here that you wish you would have known before you started your career, but since we've already done that question at the other interview, what's one thing you wished you would have known over the last year of your self-storage journey? What's the one thing I would have known over my last year of my self-storage journey or your personal Maybe. journey, if you want to get real deep. But I, or you my know, personal I journey is that <laughs> um, surprisingly enough, because I know a lot of your crews out there, is that I probably should have retired sooner. Um, you know, when you have things that truly um, distract you, even though you love it, the distractions are real, and you don't realize it until you put it down. Um, and then the other catch side to that is that it's going to be okay. You know, a lot of people have fear of taking action, right? Like my fear of taking action was leaving my job and not knowing if it'd be all right. Just the same way the same people have fear of doing their first deal. Um, but you need to know that it's going to be all right. And if you want to do it, you're going to do it and you'll do anything that it takes to get it done. So that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Hey, if, uh, if people want to connect with you or find out more about like your big project you're doing in Louisiana, a Squarespace storage, I believe it's called. Yeah, we're going to rebrand under a, more of a national name, Squarespace storage. You can find us, um, investwithequitywarehouse.com is the best way to find us right now. Uh, and it'll get you to our deal room. If not, I'm all over Facebook. Uh, I host my own uh, podcast as well that Terry's been on several times, the Real Estate Reserve podcast. Uh, you can find us out and about, always talking. Uh, I'm pretty easily accessible on um, 
the social media platforms, uh, or if you're in Mike Wagner's group on his network, you can find me over there as well. And always happy to talk uh, storage, real estate, or anything there in between. Awesome, man. We, well, I'm, what's that? We know, we know the in-betweens involve a fire ring and some beers, but yes, the in-betweens are out there too. Yeah, man. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for hopping on here. I always love uh, chatting with you. You know, I figured this was a better way than just calling you while I'm driving down the road and you declining my call. Uh, we'll get you for some FaceTime. <laughs> well, at least here you know that I'm not in the car. I know you're not in the car. That we actually, you know, it's like, okay, I'm like, oh, Terry's calling me. Where's he driving? Oh, Terry said he was going to Alabama. Crap, that's going to be a 12-hour call. So you got to uh, you got to mentally prepare yourself. So um but no always happy to jump on i appreciate you having me i look forward to your success on your on your podcast here um it's really good for getting people involved you know all all aspects of real estate whether you're a newbie or you're doing other real estate uh there's a ton of great value getting dropped here so appreciate you sharing that with everyone thanks man again and if you want to connect with ian invest with equitywarehouse.com is his uh, domain we'll drop in the show notes and ian thanks again for, for being here man Thanks, brother. Catch up with you later. Hey, everyone. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Self Storage Playbook Podcast. We'd love to know your biggest takeaways from the show today, and we'd love to hear from you at selfstorageplaybook at gmail.com. You can also find out more info on today's guest, the nuts and bolts of self-storage, and connect with other self-storage investors in our growing community at selfstorageplaybook.com and through searching our group on Facebook at Self Storage Playbook. And don't forget to go to www.storagerebeltrial.com for your risk-free one-month trial to the Storage Rebellion University monthly calls. I'll see you there.